Welcome back. This is episode 146 of Camera Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And in today's conversation, I'm joined by John Viola. John became one of the first modern football agents in the UK in 1995 and has conducted transfers worldwide at the very highest level. During the conversation, expect to learn about John's career, what it takes to be a successful agent, and the ins and outs of transfer dealings and contract negotiations. He shares so many different stories about French World Cup winners, Rangers, Celtic, Walter Smith, John Hartson, Lee McCulloch, and many more famous players. I ask about the dynamics between agents and clubs, the clauses and contracts, the impact of transfer windows, how to manage player expectations, and much, much more. John has so much experience in the sector, and he shares an awful lot during this conversation, which we had in the Green Room podcast studio in Glasgow. So not only will you learn about John's career, but also how he teaches and mentors others to become football agents themselves. I rarely talk about football on the podcast unless I'm asked about Rangers on a solo podcast. So this was great fun and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Today's podcast is sponsored and supported by Crypto Glasgow. Founders Don and Deck have appeared three times now on the podcast sharing the principles behind the cryptocurrency market. It's a market that's vast and growing, but also it's easy to get lost in the noise at the moment the sentiment in the market is particularly negative and it's easy to get consumed by that investing in crypto does seem to differ to a lot of other assets and the team at crypto glasgow have got you covered with over 20 years of experience across all the crypto asset classes no matter whether your investment approach is like me and you want to invest for the longer term with a few different coins that you have a belief in their use case in or you've got a little bit more risk appetite and you want to trade and, and make quick profits and switches then the crypto team have got you covered with a range of different services to support you in this space i'm a member of the cg pro discord for just 29.99 per month and it combines everything you need from trading investing and education to go from being a beginner to a pro there's also the cg pro affiliate program where you can refer others to join the cg pro scheme outside of that they have the startup or the level up guide or you can even book a one-to-one consultation with the team to talk through your portfolio and your next moves to get involved you can visit www.ccgla.co.uk to learn more today before we dive into this episode i want to say thank you as always for your support the podcast continues to grow who knew back in episode 144 that you loved the robots and ai so much as the downloads for that one continue to go off and i know you all enjoyed gary mcgowan last week talking all things anti-fragility but again a very varied and different topic coming for you this week with mr john viola after this music plays Welcome back to Camera Conversations and today's conversation I'm joined by John Viola. John, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Colin. And Looking forward to it. When we were getting organized for this, I was saying to you, we've had so many different types of guests on the podcast, but we've not talked about a subject that I'm a big fan of personally, football, but in particular football agency, which I don't think there's anyone better placed in Scotland to speak to than yourself. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but you're Scotland's first football agent. Was that is that the kind of tagline you go by? I, I was up there with one of the first ones in Scotland. I um, Certainly in the UK, in, in most of the UK, I was in the first 25 agents or 30 agents in the whole of the UK, uh, nearly well, 30 years ago, Colin. Geez. I was going to say, when did it all start? Uh, 30 years ago, you know, when I'd done my first deal. So I, I was one of the first ones in, in a, a, a wee group of two or three that started in Scotland as well. Yeah, and what's the entry point like at that point in time? It's, it's very different now and we're going to definitely get on to that, but... 30 years ago, how does somebody go about becoming uh, a football agent? At that time, Colin, we had to uh, give FIFA a £100,000 bond uh, 30 years ago. And to this day, I still don't know where I get it, got it from, you know, except I remember borrowing money from my sister, selling a car, selling a wee flat. I borrowed money from my mate. Uh, but you had to have a £100,000 bond. You had to pass a test with the SFA. Uh, is it fit and proper or something like well, that? It's just a general test about who you were and whatever. Uh, and an interview with SFA where we, I remember I got interviewed up at Park, Gar- Park Gardens uh, and you had to pass the interview, pass the test and then give fee for £100,000. And we just say, where I got that from, I don't know. Yeah, but you pay, I'm sure you paid them back after a after a short period. Or do, well, you, get, do you get it back from FIFA? Yeah, after yeah. It's a, fi- it's a five-year bond column where you, where you give them the, the money uh, they give you whatever bank rate, and then as long as you've conducted yourself correctly, then they give you the 
the whole of the money back. Fortunately, I got it all back. Yeah. Give it back to all the people I borrowed it from. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And nowadays it's very, very different. But before you got into football agency and obviously you've got that hundred grand on the on the line, what kind of prompted you to decide that's that's the career for me? That's what I'm going to go after because it's a huge gathering of finances at that point in terms of you having these conversations with your sister, your friends, selling the car to to put that on the line. What kind of was the prompt to say, right, I'm going to go after this? Well, I was in financial services business. Basically, I was selling life insurance. It sounds posh financial services. I, and I had a lot of really good clients who centred around uh, high net worth individuals. And a few of them were footballers. And at that time, you know, the agency business was just starting. And I one or two people I knew that got, got involved in it and we started talking about it. And I thought, you know, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind having a go at that. And uh, that's how it started. One or two of the players said, look, John, we trust you, we know you. Would you be interested in doing a deal for me? And, and I started be doing one or two wee deals and, and I got the bug for it and I thought, right, have a wee go at this. And I knew it was something that was going to take off, which obviously it has now. I suppose because they had that trust in you with financial matters like that, it would probably not be a huge step away from doing that. And equally, if you were comfortable having conversations about their finances and their future with life, life insurance, for example, sure. then it's not a massive step to say, well, I'm going to talk to the, the club that you deal with, whatever, about how much you're going to be paid for the next four or five years or whatever the structure was at that, at that point in time. So you're maybe a bit more relaxed going into it than your, your average Joe who would have said, right, I'm going to be a football agent. Well, there's a lot of transferable skills from dealing with people about finances eh, and contracts. And uh, and for me, I'm not saying it was easy because it was a, certainly a, a very different world, but I probably found it a, a bit easier than your average Joe Bear coming into the business. What skills do you think you had initially that kind of enabled you to have a smooth transition? Communication skills. Communication to be able to deal with the, the players themselves because that can be a big part of your, your job. Communication skills and how to deal with chairmen, people who own clubs, coaches, the tea lady, everybody at the club you've got to have some type of relationship with. Uh, so that's a big thing. But the the biggest skill I think, and people ask me all the time, you know, it's a football agent is handling rejection because yeah. there's so much rejection in this job. Even right now, you know, I phoned a couple of clubs today thinking this will be great, but I got rejected. And it happens nearly every day calling yeah. this business. So if you if you can handle rejection, that's one of the big things that I try and tell our new agents that we're teaching when we're doing our teaching part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in those first few years, what skills do you think you had to develop quite quickly? So communication and ability to deal with rejection is massively important. But in those first few years when potentially you're making some mistakes and deals are not going quite as you want them to, what we happen to get up to speed on very quickly? One of the, the big things is learning how to, uh, what's in, in contracts. I think it's important that you've got to understand what's in a contract because I, I made mistakes with contracts early. Uh, and you only learn from your mistakes. As we know, if you make a mistake next thing, right, okay, how do I correct that the next thing? And one of the biggest things that I found that I had to do was get right in deep into what was in a contract and how I could make that contract better for our players going forward. That was a big thing I remember. It took a, a bit of time. What were some of the exposures early on that you were looking at in the contracts that you were like, oh, I better get rid of that for the next one that I do? Oh, just some silly things that, you know, you maybe got wrong in contracts, you know, maybe not getting the right term for it, the right term of the... How, the con how long a contract should be, uh, maybe even getting to understand what you should be asking for, which is really a really key part of an agent, you know, because if you're only a new agent and you're getting into a football club, you don't really know what you should be asking for. If you get that wrong, that player's not going to be happy when he sits in the dressing room next to his mate. His mate says, what? You got that? I got that from my agent. You're finished. So understanding what is in a contract was something that we made mistakes with at the beginning. And we made don't worry, we've made lots of mistakes throughout our 13 year career. Uh, but the clear thing is, if you make a mistake, is learning about how you rectify that for the next one. And that was something that I found that we had to learn. Uh, it took a bit of time to try and get to what's involved in the contracts. It's not just as forward as uh, straightforward as saying uh, you want to do a two year contract, a three year contract at £2,000 a week or £100,000 a week. There's a big list of things that go into a contract that probably the general public don't know that we've got to learn about. Yeah. What do you think are some of those things that the general public just have no idea whatsoever about? Some of the things that, you know, like, for instance, we, we talk quite a lot about making sure that a player's correctly insured because some clubs have insurance but don't have the correct insurance. So if you have a bad injury, they may only pay a certain amount of the money. We always clarify that we want the full amount of insurance to be in yeah. a contract. A lot of people 
don't really understand what what should be going on on that. Uh, the, the key thing is understanding the marketplace for what a player should be earning. You need to have that right. And of course, there's lots of other the general things like, you know, should there be a car included in that? Should there be, uh, should there be want some type of accommodation included in that? There's a, there's a number of things, but image rights is a big thing right, that have come into play in the last few yeah, years. It's huge nowadays. And if you don't understand what image rights are, then you could be in trouble. But that's really only for the players at the high end. If you've got somebody that's playing, coming signing for some Chucky Rovers, then you're not asking for image rights. You know, so uh, they can post whatever they like of him on social media. <laughs> right. yeah. These guys, these guys, we don't really too concerned about. If you're, but you're doing a big deal, and you don't understand image rights and what they're all about, and I've just done one recently. You've got to get that correct. And for me, I uh, understand image rights, but I bring in the experts to help me with that. Yeah, you've got a team behind you that you can plug into in terms sure. of the different things. It's interesting you raised the insurance aspect because I remember when uh, Kyle Lafty signed for Hearts initially, a lot of people were talking about the fact that his wage was super, super high. And I worked in the insurance industry at that point, and it was kind of talked about that actually Hearts had had to take out an additional policy to cover the limit that Kyle was insured up to if mm. he was going to get injured because I think they were massively stretching their budget. And as long as he was playing and getting his appearance fees, he was going to be an expensive player for them if 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 something went wrong with sure. his with his injuries or something like that as well so it's interesting that that background you had in, in life assurance it was it was it was still something that was thought about when it comes to the 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 new job well i carried that forward because a lot of agents still don't even talk about about what's involved in the insurance part but i put it in as part of my contract to make sure look if, you, if the club are not insuring you get yourself a, a personal injury insurance so if you do finish your career through injury that at least you've got some type of backup money and that's something that's we are really strong about, especially the younger ones. Yeah, exactly. Because at twenty twenty one for their your first big professional contract, you're probably not thinking about oh, what happens if this all goes all goes wrong and I tear a cruciate or something like that, and it's it's game over. You're probably thinking right, what well, I'm going to play here and get to the SPFL and get get a move to the Premier League or whatever else like that. Where you're not thinking like oh, if if I if I don't keep myself fit, then what actually happens to myself and do I go down the leagues or don't I even be able to play at all and, and earn earn a living? Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's fascinating. One of the things that I was interested to ask you about contracts was like minimum release fee, uh, cause fees and stuff like that, where, uh, for example, if I bid £8 million for this particular player, then that the, the club has to accept that. That's something that we're seeing a lot more of nowadays. As an agent, is that something that you always want to include as a, uh, for like your, your better players? Definitely, because uh, that's a test to the club. Because if the club, you're speaking with the club and saying, look, we want to put in a clause to say that if somebody comes in and say for £5 million, and they say, oh, no, no, it's £10 million. And I say, that's great. That means you really rate him at a £10 million player. Well, let's pay him with £10 million wages. So that's something I always ask, Chairman. That's a wee secret. Maybe you better not be telling people that one. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that that's huge, though, because you do see that. So, for example, with, like, um, I think Lewis Ferguson, he's just recently moved to, to Italy, and a lot of people were saying, oh, when teams were bidding £4 million for him last year, he's not in a £4 million player salary at Aberdeen. So... If you expect to get that amount in from, then really should you be paying him 20, 30 grand a week, whatever it is, in terms of if that's what you class a four million pound player being paid at. So it's an interesting conversation. It probably gives you a bit more leverage as well. It does. Interestingly, uh, I believe in Spain, they've got to put that in the contract. So when you're doing a contract, you need to put that in to say, right, okay, if somebody comes in for a certain amount. And one of the big things, they, they made that a billion pounds so that, they, so that nobody could come and buy them. So it doesn't really mean anything because yeah. nobody's going to buy a player a billion pounds. But I think it's imperative in Spanish contracts. Yeah, that is interesting. But yeah, it's certainly something that you're seeing more and more of. And equally, like even with like loan deals now, you're seeing like that right to buy at the end of the contract, which agents are probably quite favourable of. So if you're going to put my player away for 12 months to wherever, is he going to get an option to get a permanent move at the end of it? At least you've got that sort of progressive next step, whereas sometimes somebody goes on a loan deal and it's kind of like a, a wash year within their career as well. Well, if it's a loan deal for me, then I always try to include it as a guarantee at the end of it. You know, okay, we'll let you go on loan, but let's talk about a guarantee fee of X amounts. So that he knows, he, okay, he's going on loan, but if they, the club want him, they've got, got to pay this amount of money. That's something that I try and I try and encourage. If at the agent side of the table, like a minimum release fee is like a, a, a positive thing, what are some of the things that the club will push back on like around other contract terms? What what do they want to include to give them some Protection. When it, coming back to Remy's rights, in the biggest, the highest level, they want to take control of Remy's rights at the highest level because if it's a real sellable guy, they want to be able to make the money more than what you do. So that's they push on that uh, really big uh, in the last few years. 
And of course, look, there's a general thing, you know, about the, you've got the general arguments about what the salary is going to be, what the length of the term is going to be, you know. And these days, you know, it's a, I remember recently I said to someone, of course, you know, uh, we'd like to include a club car. And the guy looked at me and says, getting £40,000 a week, and you're asking me for a club car? I, to be honest, I couldn't really argue with that one. £40,000 a week, he's asking for a club car that you could probably get for £600 a month. So I said, right, we'll, we'll let that one go. But that used to be an old-fashioned one about asking for, you know, a car and a house and whatever. But now they're saying, well, there's your package. Get on with it. Yeah, I'm really interested what's changed over the years in terms of, like, contracts. Like you say, you used to always try and get those included, but now you're really just pushing for the, the kind of bumper upfront fee in terms yeah, of the weekly wage. A lot of clubs are not interested in, in giving accommodation or, or cars now because there's a lot of hassle involved with, with that. And they'd say, okay, why then an extra amount of money to cover that? At, at lower levels, I'm still asking, you know, could you help the lad out with a car because he doesn't have a car? Can you help her out with a, a some type of somewhere to stay? Because, you know, it's a, it's a big thing to somebody's maybe just starting out as an 18 year old in their first contract. They're coming from abroad. They don't have a car. They don't know how to get a flat, you know. So it's something that we ask normally at the, the, the smaller end. But at high sense, it's hard to ask that question when somebody's earning 40 grand a week or 50 grand a week. Of course. When you're looking to move a player, then how much is like agreed beforehand? So, for example, you've got a player going from uh, abroad, like you were telling me earlier, to a team in the SPFL and the fees may be agreed. How much is agreed before you sit down and kind of have the, the back and forth? Yeah, you, you should know the general amount that you're discussing because if you're going to be miles out, there's no sense you're going to the meeting. So if I'm coming to you as a, the chairman of a club and, and then on the phone and I'm saying, look, we're looking for 10 grand a week. You say, look, John, no sense you're turning up. Our highest wage is five. So you, you've got a general feel for where, before you go. You've got a general idea. And then the length of the contract, that's what would be general discussion. Then you're at the table, anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> that's where the fighting starts. Have you seen things move quite quickly at the table before in terms of like your expectations have radically changed during the during the course of a meeting? Especially when you're seeing their eyes that they're desperate for the player. Then it's like, okay. Some depends on who you're dealing with. Some some people, you know, you can tell in negotiation because it's all about negotiation. And you can tell how strong they want the player or how strong that they want to stick to their terms. Every, every negotiation is different. Sometimes you're going in thinking, right, this is going to be easy, and you come out going, whoops, what happened there? Sometimes you think it's going to be difficult, and you come out going, well, that was great, because who you're dealing with or the circumstances or what's happening in that moment in time. Did you have particular clubs that you had the best relationship over the years that you tend to move players a lot between, or was it a case of like very much like player-led rather than club-led? No, it's about both. You know, you, if you've been taking good players to clubs, they want you pick up, you'll take your call, it's normal, because you've gave them good players, and you're picking up the phone and saying, oh, John's brought that player before, it's worked, let's have a, another chat with him. Uh, a lot of it's down to, down to what kind of players you've got. If you've got good players, clubs will want to know you. That's that basically supply and demand. That's exactly what it is. But there's lots of people that I've dealt with who have continued relationships for 30 years, and now a lot of my players are, are now sport directors, coaches, managers, well, we were saying before we hit record, Craig Moore works work, works with you, and that would, right. that would have been somebody that you dealt with when he was a, a kid at Rangers in the mid-90s. 17, 17, he started with us and, and took him through his whole career and then uh, every club right to right through from uh, Rangers to Crystal Palace, back to Rangers, and then, of course, he went to uh, the Premier League with Premiership with uh, with Newcastle. Then he also and then he also went to the Bundesliga. A lot of people won't know that, but Borussia Mönchengladbach, the big advocate. Yep. And then we took him to Greece, of all places, a place called Kivala, and then back to Brisbane Roar. Uh, so, and then he went on to be a sports director himself, worked with the, the FA, with Ange Postacoglu, believe it or not. And then in the last three years, he came and worked to our agency as, a, as an agent, and he's, he's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. With all those different countries that you cover, that's probably one of the reasons that your network's so mad. Because when we were getting prepared for this, John, you were telling me about, oh, and I was talking to this particular individual in Romania, and I was talking to this individual in Australia. But I suppose that's probably something that builds up over time when you initially get involved with Scottish players who are going across the globe. Is that how it's built over time? Well, for me, how it's built uh, with all these connections is quite simple. You know, you, you take a player like, for instance, I looked after Gordon Petrich through, through his career. And Gordon has just got the job as a partisan Belgrade coach. Now, he and the Baltics, if I was ever wanting to talk to anybody in that area, he knew everybody. And everywhere he went, people followed him. Then I met all his friends. And then next thing I know, I'm in Belgrade doing business in Croatia. And I'd never even 
names of clubs I'd never even heard of because I looked after him when he came to Dundee United and then Rangers and then Crystal Palace and AK Athens and Hearts and then eventually to China. So I'd done all those deals. And then all these people, all these places, it's your job when you go to these clubs to be able to make sure you've got the contact and keep the contact. When I went to China, I took them there. We dealt with a the club there. I've kept in contact. I still deal with the people there. When I went to Athens, the owner of the club in Athens bought another club in Croatia. There we are there. And then, of course, when he went to all these other different clubs, who he was speaking to became part of my network. You're networking with the, the owner, the sporting director, the manager, whoever else. And, of course, with football, we know these people move around as well. So you're just growing your network through that as well. And, of course, every time he played for a club, when I went to go and see him play, and then he went out for dinner after the game, all those club, all those players at that club, we get to meet all them and know who their friends are. So key part of the job is networking and networking wherever your player goes, the new, the, whoever that club is, you should be networking with everybody at that. So that's took me to, around the world, day to odd countries and, and, and uh, dealing with places I didn't even, players and names and places I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I think that's probably a big reason for your success in terms of across the career that you've had. You've been able to tap into so many different networks. And like you say, if you have a particular player that does move around to so many different locations and that just expands and expands and expands. I think there's a, there's a lesson there for any profession really in terms sure. of when, when you when you do well, a good job for somebody, ask them to introduce you to somebody else that does Normal. the same thing. It's what I do in my in my day-to-day career as well. And even for the podcast as well, if a guest has a really good experience and enjoys the, the conversation and sees good exposure off the back of it, then they can introduce me to somebody that they know as well. So there's lots you can do from doing well for somebody and then of course asking off the back of it to to the get into their it's network. the best way to go forward and yeah. i've thought that in my, my past business if you've done a good job for somebody as soon as you finish you say excuse me you're quite happy with what i've done could you recommend me a one or two people who you think would want to sit down and have an informal chat with me and that's the same when you, if you take a player to a club and you do a good job and he's happy with what you've done he's more than happy to say oh we jimmy in the dressing rooms need a new agent so and he puts and that's how you get your business but there, for me, there's a lot of agents who maybe are, are just stick to their own wee bubble in their own wee parochial area and, and stick to all Scotland or England. But it's a world out there that you wouldn't believe who want to know you if you're a good agent. In cliches, it sounds football is an international language, isn't it? Like look at the different players that you've moved that probably English isn't their, isn't their first language either. No, plenty of them. Interpreters that we've had in meetings and uh, there's been plenty of them for sure. What clubs have you found and chairman did you find kind of the most easy to deal with or the most difficult to deal with when you're bringing a player to them? Some of them are, some of them are really good. Some of them are really difficult. I've just been, I've just been to a, a, a doing a deal in Romania, uh, to a club called Cluj, and uh, I dealt with the the owner there, and he wasn't easy to deal with. It was a sort of a good cop, bad cop. The owner was like really difficult, but then he went out the room and. Uh, and they, they, you know, the good guy came in and he, like I've seen all that hundreds of times and used that tactic myself. But uh, you know, that was a, a classic. You know, or, or these 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 guys are difficult to deal with. And oh no, they're good to deal with, and then difficult. Lots of clubs I've dealt with have been really good, and a lot of them change. You know, they change hands. You know, the the, the owner becomes somebody else. You've got to open the door to a new owner. But there's been lots of clubs that I've had good relationships with. Uh, one in particular that I dealt with in the past who. A really, really good time of uh, moving players was uh, David Murray at Rangers. Okay. So he was somebody that wasn't just dealing with him in a football club sense, in life sense, because this guy had uh, been through a real difficult time from losing his legs as a young as a young man and, uh, and built up an empire that you wouldn't believe. So when I went to speak to him, he was teaching me life lessons of just as much as doing deals. So he was one that, that, that I, I got on quite well with and we'd done a lot uh, done a lot of business. Murray loved transfers as well, didn't he? Like uh, I think like if, if there was any like bad PR or whatever, we quite often went in and signed a signed a new player to <laughs> sue the support. I can't remember who the guy was from was it Marcus Gale or something? I think we signed we signed on a whim and I think he played about three games and then he was back out the, the door as well. But that was before transfer windows. So I wonder how because you would have operated well before no, that period. How did that change things? Uh, we're just talking about that yesterday, actually. I'm talking to another agency, and you know, we called it the good old days where you know you could be doing a deal every day. Yeah. And uh, now we're but now we're in we're in certain sectors and areas. But believe it or not, what a lot of people maybe not pick up is you can actually do after the 31st of August with the European transfer window. A lot of other countries open. 
There's like transfer Your seasons run different times, yes. of course. So if you're really clever, you can map out throughout the year how you can do business throughout the whole uh, the whole year, which we do. So when, for instance, when the European window finishes, we're in we're in the Middle East. We're yep. Saudi Arabia and Dubai and Qatar. You start running in a different time zone at that point. Yeah. Different <laughs> sleep pattern. <laughs> so, plenty of rain. Waking up during the night. Phone, phone's on full time during the night. And I don't know how many times my wife says, no, I, you, you, you've got to switch that off. Come on. <laughs> how did the transfer window change things? Though? I appreciate you've got like a, a different times that you can do things. But before that, you could have moved the player quite quickly. Do you think it meant that players have been more settled at clubs and more relaxed about moving? Or do you think they're always... Iron up the next move. It's in the funny chat, it was a player and an agent. We were just sitting talking about that. You know, that this it was a player that brought it across quite well. And he's saying, you know, you're sitting, and you know, you you know, you've got a team that's been playing for three or four weeks together. And the next thing you know, where did Big Molly go? Big Molly's away. Then somebody else comes in, and then two weeks later, somebody else is away, and somebody else comes in. So there was never like a settled squad uh, in at most clubs. Uh, and that was just the way it was. Nah, you just accepted that, you know. You you could be moving on, or somebody picks up the phone. You you know, or to me, John, we really like your player. Do you think he would come to our club and then you get, try and get the club together? And it was all about money. If the money was right, then they agreed a deal and he was off. So it was that you could do the business every day, but again, it's a bit more restricted now. But if you're clever, you can still do that. Worldwide. across the world exactly that and that's why like one of the terms you used was not staying within your goldfish bowl or within your kind of little pond that you can work in you have like an international network so of course you can operate at different times of the year and and and, and, and earn during these different times as well rather than just the the, the summer and the january window definitely that's the part where i feel sorry for the guys that, that they say okay i'm from scotland i'm only in that marketplace or the uk or europe even because if they don't have or don't build these international contacts then they're restricted to doing business, you know, in Scotland or England or in Europe. They can't do anything out with that because they don't, they don't know where to go to sell their players. So, or buy players or even uh, do business. So for me, when I'm trying to teach people, I'm saying, look, open up the doors worldwide. Go out your way to speak to clubs and chairmen and owners and sports directors in Outer Mongolia or France or, or Australia or... Serbia, because, you know, they'll want to speak to you. You know, if you get the right people, they'll speak to you. Yeah. And if you've opened up a door, when the window finishes in, in 31st of August in Europe, you talk to somebody in Qatar. I think that's a huge lesson that you can teach the mentees that you bring on because you've gone and done it as well. Like, it's always yeah. nice to say, like, somebody practices what they preach, so to speak, and for you to have operated across the world probably gives them reassurance that, yes, I'm based here in Scotland, or yes, I'm based in France, but of course I can operate in these different jurisdictions as long as I take a professional approach and I know how to how to handle myself. I can be a valuable kind of middleman for these guys. Does, you were mentioned there, you got on well with David Murray when it came to like transfers in, but do you feel you're almost at loggerheads a little bit with the club sometimes in terms of when you're financially incentivized to move a player? What do you mean by that? So um, if you would benefit from a player leaving the club, does the chairman think, right, you you, you behave yourself. You have, yes, yeah. you've yes, you've brought me um Craig Moore back from uh Crystal Palace, but don't you dare try and move Petrix or whoever it is. We've had that. And it, what you've got to do what's right, it's not a club that, that matter if you're doing your job right. If you're working for a player, it doesn't matter. I don't care if David Murray or whoever the owner said, Sorry, that that you, you shouldn't be affected by that. You represent the player and if he wants to fall out with you over that, that's showbiz. For me, we always went first for the player. What was right for the player, and if the chairman wanted to shout off or the owner or whatever, let it be. If you're really good, you'll, you, they'll come back because you've got the right players and you'll have that relationship. They actually respect the fact that you're actually working for it solely for their player. Unless you're working for the club alone, which has happened. You know, we get asked to go and do business for the club alone. That's a different story, of course. But if a chairman said to me, great, we've just done business with that player, you've brought him back, and you're trying to sell that player. And, and I'm saying, but that player wants to go because he doesn't want to be with you. I represent the player. No, you, sorry. And yeah. we've had many an argument with that with lots of different clubs. But it's the player comes first. That respect piece is huge, though, isn't it? Because if you folded over that or you kind of bowed to their whim on that, then what else might you you're flake finished. on? You're finished with it. That club then controls you. Yeah. That's huge, isn't it? And interestingly, that will go around the dressing room as well because in the same way that you were saying that the player will say to wee Jimmy in the dressing room, plays next to him or oh, John's just done me a great deal to move here or he's just helped me out with my contract negotiation 
then you end up with him as a client in the same way he says something else and he says well actually my agent was really strong with the club over this particular thing and of course exactly. he then moves that's how that, that's how it works Colin. if they think that you're totally behind them and not being bullied by and you guess maybe the word you shouldn't be using bullied but being influenced Pushed around yeah influenced by the owner because of course they've got lots of power because you, you need to be able to talk to them to do business another deal you might be phoning him two weeks from now and saying hey I've got Colin here. What a player he is. And he's like, no, 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 no. You took our player out here, wee man. You have to be able to manage that. Yeah. And for me, if you stand up to them, they respect you. But as soon as you say, oh, no, okay, then we won't move the player, you're finished. One of the deals when I was doing my research, John, that you were involved in was uh, Lee McCulloch from Wigan to Rangers back in uh, 2007, it would have been. 2007, I yeah, so right. well, well, well remember that. A, a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago, because it was it was right before Rangers run to Manchester, because Lee was a big part of that. Yeah. But that was drawn out across the whole summer. What was it like being involved in that? That was a long, that was a long, long transfer. Um, it, it basically came because, you know, Lee wanted to get back to, to back home and obviously play for Rangers, who he, who he supported. And that, that was a, a request that we... We wanted to get involved. He wanted to get involved with us, and he did to try and take him to back to Rangers. But Wigan weren't having it because he was doing really well for Wigan. He's a big name, a, a lead top player. I remember Paul Jewell. Paul Jewell was like, yeah, he ain't going anywhere. So he ain't going anywhere. And David Murray and Walt Smith are saying, no, we want him, John. Come on, let's see how good you are. You know, it was one of those jobs. You know, challenge a, a challenge, you. a challenge. But more importantly, uh, it was more about that Lee wanted to go to. Rangers, back to Rangers, oh, not back to, but to Rangers from Wigan. And as I say, I had more than one ding-dong with, uh, with the manager of Wigan just thinking to myself, you know, this ain't going to happen. So we went back and forward, back and forward, and it got to the level where uh, I think the manager, Paul Jewell, realised the player really is, does want to go back. It wasn't just a let's make money or whatever. It, it, he wanted to, to go back to his hometown or uh, Glasgow and play for the team he supported. But it took a long time. And it's funny, it, it's funny you should say that. There's something just came to my mind about uh, I was at a, a special dinner in the in the Glasgow City Centre. I'm sitting next to Walter Smith. I said, Great, this is the time for Walter and I to have a real chat. You'll be in his ear, John. Oh, I was like, he's, he doesn't know what's hitting him here. But to be fair, it was reciprocal he's like, right, how are we going to get this done? What's what's in your mind? What's in your mind, Walter? And we get that carried away with a couple of beers. Uh, my friend, who the dinner we were at was actually for a uh, President Bill Clinton, who was at, in Glasgow. There was this big special dinner. We were at sort of a top table type thing, and everybody was getting a picture taken with Bill Clinton. And my friend, who organised a good friend, big Rangers, but a guy called Sati Singh, he came up to me and says, "Johnny, you need to come. the special services are waiting on you and Walter to get your picture taken with Bill Clinton." I says, "Listen, I'm trying to sell Lee McCulloch." He went. Just stay there. Don't worry about the picture. So to this day, he still talks to me about it, about how we were the only two that were left at this table chatting about taking Lee because the two were really intense about it that we missed the picture with Bill Clinton. More important matters at hand. More, more important was getting the deal done and, and especially Saturday saying to me, just stay there, forget Well, exactly. Big Rangers man as well. He'd be incentivised <laughs> to make that happen too. No, I, I love that. And it does show that, of course, there's times where the player's interests are that he wants to move that club, but that club's got a pulling factor as well, doesn't it? In terms of that's Lee's boyhood team that he's always wanted to play for, like Walter Smith coming back after the kind of Le Guin experiment going wrong. Yeah. It was a huge, huge pull, and Lee was a huge part of not only the kind of the run to Manchester, but the the league titles in the three years after that. And of course, when Rangers went down the divisions, he was kind of like a bit of a, a kind of a, a rallying figure for the for the support during that. So it's certainly a move that. You can like Wigan. You could probably look a wee bit more calmly now and say, "Well, it was the right move for him." Ah, great, great player, great guy, uh, Big Lee, and uh, we were just so happy when we got the call to say, "Right, you're in." It's and you done. know, that's one of the, the beautiful things about this game is, is that you know when you're trying so hard to get something done for a player who really wants, and then you realise you've got it over the line, uh, and the, the joy that, that comes out of the, from a player, and of course for us it's business, but. Uh, it's more important that the player's sitting saying, you know what, you've put in this time and effort and all the fights and all the arguments and all the conversations with Wigan, which was really difficult, but funny as well. And uh, and uh, what do you call it? You're on the phone to leave. What did they say today? What did he say? What's going on? Walter, what's happening? You David Murray. training with the under-20s. Oh, there's all sorts <laughs> going on. Uh, but uh, eventually we got it done. 
and the satisfaction that comes with this job, everybody thinks it's all about money. But the satisfaction is to pick up the phone and say, Lee, get your bags packed, come, come on, we're signing for Rangers. And then you can just feel the excitement and the joy coming through that phone. And that's something that it, it's fantastic in this business. Yeah, what a high. If that's a massive high, John, what's a deal that maybe didn't go as well as you, you wanted that you can share with us? Plenty of them, you know. I've been in situations where you think you're, you've got the deals done and over the line and and you don't and you don't get a a, a, a medical or or is it the club don't agree terms and you're in a situation that wow I've just you know spent a long long time trying to get this over the line and it's not happening you go back to you know falling out with yourself and going under the bed for about a couple of hours and then you have to get, pick yourself up and go back. You were, saying about the reject, you were saying about the rejection piece is one of the skills, communication and then ability to handle rejection. So being thick-skinned and having multiple experiences of that one went a little bit wrong is, is probably what, what's built your successful career as well. Well, I mean, when somebody says no to me, it doesn't bother me. I, I just think I'm getting closer to the next yes. Uh, and that's something I've, I've learned in this business that when I'm picking up a phone and, and just this week, I've been trying to sell a player and thinking this guy will be quite easy to sell when I'm getting lots of no's. But in the past, I used to come off and go, oh, no, they don't want him. But now I'm just saying, wait, okay, I've got another six clubs to call or ten clubs. I'm getting closer to somebody saying yes. And it's a psychological thing. Uh, I know to me now is that's just a closer to a yes. It's the way I operate. Yeah, it's a good way to frame things. You mentioned failing medicals. Were you involved in the Hartson to Rangers transfer? I was. I was uh, John Hartson. We, uh, uh, the day before transfer deadline, uh, I brought him up to and work, I was working for Rangers and he says, look, I said, what about this player? I love him. Big advocate, I love him. Brought him up and that was one of the most disappointing uh, deals ever because everything was going swimmingly well. Um, Dick Advocate was absolutely delighted that we had him in the boardroom, got him in the boardroom. The deal was done in 15, 20 minutes. I always remember it was there with his father and myself. Uh, everything was looking great and then he went for the medical and uh, the Dutch doctor at the time just didn't think he was his knee was right enough to go and play for Rangers and and uh, I remember him going uh, telling him that he couldn't it wasn't going to go ahead and it was horrible for him and us as well and he he uh, he went back back down south I think it was at Coventry at the time and it was just really it was really horrible how all that came about but I remember rejection myself because I I worked hard to get all, pull all this together and talk to all the parties and. It was all... He's bought in, Rangers are bought in. Everybody bought in. And I remember that, you know, like, this came back to me. I remember the, uh, after it, it didn't happen and John left and then all the press left and everything. And I remember going down into the Rangers dugout and it was a real rainy day. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, what happened there, man? That was, that was just a big deal and, and a lot of business. And I thought, you know, I thought, and I looked up and then the rain was coming down and the, the big Rangers sign and I went, you know what? Because somebody else wants to come to Rangers a day. Up. And that's it again. Of course. Because if you, if you let that get you down, then that would be you finished. And that's the part went right. That was in the past. I can't control. They've knocked him back because he's a medical. Let's just move on to the next one. Yeah, that was an interesting one, wasn't it? Because he went on to have such a good career at Celtic and um, Rangers signed uh, uh, Ron De Boer, Ron who, 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 albeit, had a, a good Rangers career. It was still There were still a number of injuries within it, which if you were being really strict in a medical, you wonder if if, if, if Hartson would have been just as fit as De Boer during the period as well. well. It would have been because he, went, he came to Celtic and done a magnificent job. So, in fact, we were, John and I were speaking at a thing just you know, a few months ago. And uh, and John didn't know anything about the difference really between Celtic and Rangers and that thing. So it didn't really mean, he was just like, it's a massive club. Got a knock back, Celtic take him on board and, and he went on to, now he loves Celtic, he's done a massive job, he scored all those goals, it was fantastic. So who was right or wrong in that stage? Yeah, the medical team. Well, <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, as, as, as a Rangers fan, I loved the Boer, but I, I had a grudging respect for Hartson in terms of what he was able to accomplish for Celtic up front. He was a very, very good player. Um, what were some of the other deals that you were involved in? Does anything stand out as kind of like a, a, the biggest deal, for example, or something like that? I always remember, uh, and I've discussed this recently, was uh, when I brought uh, Christian Carambu. You've heard of Christian Carambu. Striker? No, he was no. a midfielder. He was, at, he was at Real Madrid. Oh, uh, Middlesbrough. To Middlesbrough. Yeah, 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 I remember him, yeah. So, so uh, I'd done that, that, that deal with Christian. Uh, Christian's a great lad. And talk about keeping your connections. He's now the sporting director at Olympiacos. 
So just last week, I'm speaking to him about players at Olympiacos, and his owner owns uh, Nottingham Forest. So we've been speaking as a triangle, and that's a way back from when I took him to. We've kept in contact, and uh, I was uh, seeing him in Greece very recently. But that was a that was a very interesting deal because it's taking somebody from the pre, uh, from uh, Real Madrid to the Premier League Premiership at that time. Sorry, and that was a big deal. Uh, it wasn't the biggest financial deal, uh, but it was it was something really special because we were dealing with Real Madrid, which I had the first time I dealt with them. I dealt with Middlesbrough lots of times. The owner there's a guy called Steve Gibson. He's a he's a lovely guy. So uh, that was one that sticks in my mind uh, for lots of reasons. I, because it was mainly dealing with Real Madrid, dealing with Christian himself, who's a great lad, World Cup winner, a, a Champions League winner, a World Cup winner with France, Champions League winner, and you're thinking, what, you're coming to Middles? But he wanted to try England. That was his dream. Uh, and then there was another massive reason why that was a big deal, because his wife was the most beautiful woman in the world at the time, and everybody wanted to know more about her, Adriana, and what they did about Christian. Asking you if you can introduce them. <laughs> Hello. John, how's it going? You brought that play from Middlesbrough. To Middlesbrough, yeah. What about Adriana? Yeah, brilliant. So we've talked about transfers and um, I'd like to know a little bit more about contract negotiations as well because like when some of these deals coming up or like a lot of people at the moment, if you're a, if you're a Rangers fan at the time of recording, we're talking about Morelos in the last year of his deal and uh, Ryan Kent as well. People are, are focused on, oh, they've got one year left in the deal. They might have to get sold or they have to get extended or are they going to play on through the last year? When's the kind of trigger points within a contract that you're normally saying, Excuse me, Mr. Chairman, can we have a, a chat, please? I normally start talking two years before. I think that's a prudent time for everybody to be talking. The last year, you might have lost the, the, the momentum to make money from them. So two years to go, I normally chat with the and say, right, do you want to renew or do you want to, uh, uh, or do you want to sell them? If you want to renew, great, let's sit at the table. Or uh, if you want to sell them, let's get, let's get speaking to sell them. And for me, that's just pure common sense. Because why would you go into the last year with a player? Where uh, it should be speaking to, it should be common sense with clubs. And it amazes me that clubs let uh, contracts go to the last year. Yeah. That you should be sitting down and or he should be phoning me, chairman, saying, right, John, your players got two years to go. Can we can we have a chat? Should we be renewing them, or should we be uh, should we be going to the marketplace to sell them? Yeah, it's interesting. How do you manage players' expectations at that point as well? Because sometimes there's maybe sometimes a gap between what they maybe think they could go and play for and what the the club the, the club think they could go and play at, I suppose. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Managing players' expectations is one of the most difficult part of the job because I have players who think they can play for Real Madrid, but really they can, they can only really play for Sterling Albion. No disrespect to Sterling Albion. But anyhow, uh, they're all, every player's different, but in general, managing the expectations of players. And it's, uh, it's difficult, but it's good if a player's saying, you know, I think I'm good enough for the Premiership. And that's good because you've got that ambition, you love it. But when really you know you're lucky if you can get to League One. So you have to be able to sit down and manage that expectation. Yeah. Have you have you found that um, that's harder with younger players and more experienced players? At what point in their career are they the most difficult to manage in terms of where they want to go? Because when they get to the level of maybe getting a wee bit of success and they get ahead of themselves, you know, you maybe take them to, uh, to a Premier League in, in, in Scotland and they're doing really well. They're thinking... Am I going to England and maybe only played five games in the Premier League, you know? Because they get carried away a wee bit and it's our job to sit down and say manage their expectations. And again, and the marketplace tells you a lot about a player. If a, if a player has played 100 games in the Premier League in Scotland and he's done really well, the marketplace will tell you because the clubs are phoning you. And it's not about my opinion. It's not always about his or the clubs. When you're getting five, ten clubs calling you about a player, you know that he's ready for that league. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Yeah, the the, the market will dictate because I think a lot of people, for example, like uh, we, as football fans, we put really subjective values on players. So um, again, Rangers fans, so these examples come easiest to me, John. But Aribo moved for like six million plus some add-ons, and a lot of Rangers fans were saying, "Well, how's he moved for that? If Bassi's moved for twenty-five, and Aribo is potentially a more developed player at this stage of his career, he's, he's a bit, he's a, he's a bit more, he's scored more goals, he's been, he's played a bit more." But ultimately, there was the contract situation, there's the potential, and there's what the clubs are willing to pay as well, based on their circumstances. So I find it interesting as an agent, you'll be like, well, of course, that transfer, there was a big delta between the fees that were paid because of these factors and these factors, whereas us as fans are a bit more, oh, well, we watch them on the pitch every week and we think they're worth this. 
Uh, listen, I'm a fan myself, and sometimes I look and say, wow, how's you know moving for X amounts of money myself? But it's not the fans that make a decision. It's not even sometimes the clubs, the Rangers situation. It's who, who was coming in for the rebuild. That's yeah. who's making the decisions. Because if nobody's coming in for your player, then there's no marketplace for them, and he's not worth anything. That's what people don't. It's like when you try to sell a house and nobody's about to buy it. You're thinking, wow, nobody wants to buy my house. I thought it was worth a million quid. Nobody wants to buy it. It's not really worth it's not going to move for anything. So the marketplace determines where players go on a lot of occasions. And that's down to how well they do. Yeah. Player expectations is a big thing that I guess maybe you're teaching the agents that you're bringing on through your academy in terms of like how to have these harder conversations. Because I suppose like you're a, you're a very friendly guy, John. So I could see you being like the, the player's best pal. But you can also see you like switch to be like business mode. And I suppose you teaching that on to your, your students in terms of how they can conduct themselves is probably a big part of your your uh, your coaching journey when i'm when i'm teaching people uh it's a, it's a fine line don't watch you don't get too close to them because you're then it's difficult to tell them the truth you've got to be very careful about that but if i become very friendly with you and you've had a shit game it's difficult to say that but you know the most important thing i tell them is you need to be honest and if somebody's saying look i think i'm ready for the the, the premiership say well look you know if you feel you're not because the marketplace is not determinate you need to be honest with them and it's something the biggest thing that we teach people is be honest with your player because too many agents or, or the friends that are around about them will say oh you've done great today or you're, you're doing great they don't get the real truth because it's difficult for their parents to say you had a crap game it's their best mate who's at the game don't worry you were great when really we all know you had a terrible game as an agent you've got to be honest with me you're maybe not going to say you had a terrible game but you're going to be more honest with them rather than people who are surrounded me, you know, and get into that bubble of people telling them all the good things. As an agent, you've got to be brutally honest and tell them how it is. And managing their expectations, as we said before, Colin, is quite simple. Don't promise them the world because if you get in and say, look, I want to work with you and I'm going to be able to take you to Arsenal within three years, you don't know that pathway. All you can do is say, I'll, I'll be with you during this journey and I'll take you where what you do on the pitch because when people say to me, oh, John, you've you took players to here, there, everywhere. I didn't take them anywhere. They took themselves. I want to give them, give them options. They have to do it in the pitch first. If Colin's playing for Rangers and wants to get to Arsenal, Colin, you need to do it in the pitch. You need to be fit. Mm. You need to eat the right stuff. You need to look after yourself. Because I can't take you to Arsenal if you ain't doing a job here. I've got, I can get you the options, but really, it's you who gets the move. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think that's vital, and it's really interesting how you're able to bring all these phrases off, roll off your tongue, John, because you've probably said them so many times, but I guess that's where your expertise is helping bring through the next generation of agents who are not quite sure how to have that conversation and maybe a wee bit too chummy or maybe they're a wee bit too harsh because you'll probably have agents that are just can't build the personal connection because they're always just thinking about the, 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 the numbers or the reality of things. One of the things I was really keen to ask you was, one of the things a lot of fans in Scotland bemoan is this kind of transition period between like academy to senior football. We seem to lose so many talents during that period. Like think about all the ne the next big things that we've had that have maybe not come into fruition. What role do you think an agent can play in those kind of stages where a where a player's finishing their academy career and doing their first professional contract? Well, that's that's a really important question, by the way, uh, because there used to be in the past. During the period of when kids were 17 or 18, they were getting into the reserve league. That's not there anymore. So you had that period of 17 or 18 of saying, we're going to play in the reserve. And I'll take an example for when I, I looked after Charlie Muller, have you heard of him? Yeah. Of course you have, because he's a brilliant, famous player. right? And Charlie always talks about the difference between academy players and you know try to make it into the first team. He was playing alongside guys like John Brown's of this world and, and you know real men at 17 and he's going or 16 and 17 he's going wow you know but the academy guys don't have that reserve league where at 17 18 they can be thrown in and playing they're playing against other academy teams so it's difficult to then take them from 18 into the first team whereas in down in England they've got to be a bit better set up with that but that, that that's changed dramatically and it's it, for me for me when they get a certain age, it's difficult because you've no, there's nowhere to take them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because they're not going to, at 18, a lot of them are not going straight into the first team. They might need another two or three years of development. Uh, and that's when you've got to look at where age to come in. It's a really, really important point. 
right, okay, you might not be able to make it to this first team, but I tell you what, I'll, I'll go and take you somewhere. Maybe you might have to take a step back in the second division in Scotland to get yourself playing with men in a, in a real league where, where these guys are playing for their mortgage yeah. because their bonus might mean the their mortgage. Bonus, yeah. right? That you get in amongst that and then you know what the job's all about and then that will help benefit you to go to play for a, another first team. So there's that gap, which I'm sure you know about. Yeah, so which, the, the agent has to have that conversation where, yes, you're at Rangers Celtic or Dundee United or Hearts just now, but would you develop if you went to a Cowdenbeath or a, a Peterhead or something like that and got first team football and played against men because, of course, you're not going to break in it at Celtic or Rangers or, or even, even Hearts at Dundee United up front when they're paying that guy 20, 30 grand a week where you're a kid and you need to cut your teeth and score some goals somewhere else. It's very difficult. One of the biggest questions when I'm uh, talking to clubs, especially in England, and they're thinking, right, John, you look after these guys at Celtic Avengers, whatever it may be, is how many games have they played? I would rather Celtic said, or Rangers, or Aberdeen, or whatever, said, tell you what, we'll keep that play for another two years, loan him out to somewhere to see if he makes it. Uh, if he plays 30, 40 games, he might come and be able to play for Rangers first team, but also he might be able to go somewhere in England. And a great example of that is that Hamilton went through a period of playing players that played 60, 70, 80 first team games. He was much more of a sellable asset than the young guy. It may have been a better player at Rangers because he'd played 70 or 80 games at Hamilton. And they've done fantastic. That's a well. huge point. We had what uh, James McCarthy, James MacArthur, and even like uh, Brian Easton players like that as well. They were all more valuable, like you say, because they had the uh, either, either championship or, or SPL, mm. or SPL uh, experience. So it's it's a difficult situation if you're 18 and you've got the choice of saying, right, should I, I've had the choice to say on it to Rangers or Celtic or one of the bigger clubs, or would I go and take a chance of playing for a year with another club? get 20, 30 games on my belt, become a more more established player. And then people from down south will say, well, I would rather take that guy that's played the 30 games than the boy that still continue to play at, at the under-19s or whatever it may be. But there is there is a there is a big role to be played by agents there by having the, 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 the contacts to be able to say, right, we can take you from there to there. Yeah. You with me? Yeah, completely with you. I think the... Rangers being, Celtic being, I think Hearts be now playing in the Lowland League is a step in the right direction. But like you say, you're still seeing those players going loan. So I know from Rangers B, um, Tony Weston and uh, one of the centre mids, his name escapes me, both had good seasons last year in the Lowland League, but they're on loan at Partick Thistle this year. So they're playing first team real men's football because they've had that year cutting their teeth and they'll be more valuable to Rangers or whoever wants to buy them Definitely. next year because they've done that. And I suppose their agent probably had to have that conversation to say, I want my player going out on loan or I want some reassurances at the end of this loan deal that my player maybe gets a, a move here or is going to get exposure to the, the first team squad off the back of it as well. And it doesn't have to be, Colin, that you're talking about connections and uh, what an agent should be doing. Somebody that's got the connections in the business shouldn't be just talking about Scotland. You know, we've got players, we're, I'm picking up the phone to the second division in England and saying, look, this boy probably could do a job for you. And again, these are decent levels, second division, first division, division one. And take them down there as well. And that's all about connections. I, I, I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody, but I've just been around the block a few times. And a lot of, I know a lot of the people in all these leagues. So a, an agent has got those connections that can take them down south as well, rather than saying, right, a parochial. Or, by the way, let's talk about taking them abroad. Why wouldn't you think about taking them somewhere if they were game enough? Because I'm really a, a real top advocate. Is saying, okay, why don't you go and try another country? to see whether you can cut your teeth in another country. And as you can see now, there's been a connection with Italy, with, with Fe Lewis Ferguson and other players going to Italy. Uh, Aaron Hickey, I think, Aaron went Hickey from Hearts, so. and then he's back in the in the Premier League now, I think. So that's worked very well for him. There you go. So when I started, if you say to somebody, uh, you want to go to uh, another country, they'd be like, and out of the, uh, England, they would have been scared. But nowadays, it's part of life that you should be looking. And I agree, a great advocate. You should be looking at other other countries to take them rather than just saying, okay, let's take you to Peterhead or whatever it might be. No, you're a fountain of knowledge on this stuff, John. And one of the things that um, we were we were keen to speak about was, obviously, I've hinted at it throughout the you coach and mentor people to become agents now. But you were saying about 100 grand back in the day was the, was the bond you needed to have with FIFA and, and put that in for five years until you got that back. Yeah. But the, the rules and that all changed, what, 2015, where That's it right. became a much easier industry to enter. But of course you can have like a really low entry point to an industry, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a success in that industry just because the 
the entry points are a lot more, but the the John Viola Academy is like the the kind of the the gold standard now that you're holding up in terms of like you can show people how to manage this process and learn from all your years of experience. How have you found that process in terms of sharing sharing everything that's in here, putting it onto paper and into all these courses that you run? Do you know the the, the start of that? It was really interesting, Colin. It was people started asking us, you know, I'd love to be an agent, but I don't know how to do it. Because uh, when the, the floodgates opened in 2015, when everybody and anyone could become an agent, you could be, you could sign a form today, and within a, a two days you're a football agent as long as you want to pay. I think it's 500 pound fee to, to, to England. It's a little bit of a reduction from the hundred grand. Exactly, it certainly is. But what we found was a lot of people were doing that, and they don't have the knowledge. They're like, right, okay, I'm an agent now, but you know this is a difficult business to understand and to navigate through. So. Myself and my son and, and my nephew, uh, whose nephew is my partner, Phil McTaggart, we decided, why don't we write a course about how to be a football agent for a bit of fun? And they uh, went through the roof. The whole world started buying this course because people want to know, what's it, what's the job all about? I'd like to get involved with it. I've just put my name forward to be an agent, I paid, but I don't know where to go. So we put all our knowledge down in this course and it was great fun because we were sitting saying, so we're going to recruit a player. What do you what do you do, Phil? Well, what would you do? And then we, we wrote it all down. We talk you through it, yeah. Aye, and then if you if you were going to go and do a contract, what's the first thing you think about? If you're going to go and speak to a chairman, how do you phone that chairman? What, what do you have your notes in front of you? How do you approach him? And if you're going to go and sign a player, what, how do you sign him? If you're going to get a contract, what's in that contract? So we we had a great great fun. It took us about six months to, to write this course, but then we put it in a proper format and we put it out there. And next thing we know, the whole world was looking at it. And so much so that, believe it or not, somebody that done our course, a guy called Vincent English, and I have to give him great credit, he's a professor at Cambridge University, phoned me up, said, John, I've just done your course, it's magnificent, I'm professor, my name's Vincent English. I thought it was a wind-up. I said, very good. You probably get some wind-up calls in terms of such and such the Real Madrid. (laughs) Plenty of room. And I thought it was a wind. I said, he says, no, no. He says, I'm a, I'm a professor at Cambridge University. I'd like to talk to you about uh, taking your course and a master's degree in an MBA. I mean, very good. But believe it or not, that was three years ago. And now we have had people who have got a master's degree in the football intermediary business and an MBA. Uh, and it's been, it's been absolutely magnificent. They say that we were the first people in the world to develop a master's degree in an MBA in football intermediary. And nobody else has matched it yet. So we're taking it from sitting around the table saying, hey, man, we'll show people how to do this business to now we've got people around the world who do a normal pro course, which is just a 16-module online course, to doing online mentoring, to doing uh, personal mentoring, to doing events, to being in a situation now we've got a master's degree. And, we, and it opens doors worldwide for us because it's not just the fact that they do the course. If you do the course and you're from Venezuela or Germany or France, you're talking to us about business as well. So it's opened up avenues that we never knew existed. And it's been magnificent. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I think football is such a, like we were saying, an international language and people are so passionate about it. I think it would be quite easy to maybe get carried away and think, right, I'm going to become a football agent. But if you go in blind, you could get burnt and you won't win a client within the first year or two years. So of course, you're not even going to wash your face in terms of covering your covering, covering your costs. So it is... Uh, it's one of those ones where you're better to seek out some advice and education to give yourself a fighting chance because I don't think it's going to become, it's not going to come easy to, to everybody. Like you had a little bit of a network to start with in terms of arranging their, yeah. their, 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 their life policies. So of course you were able to say, yeah, like I'm happy to work with you on a football agency basis. Whereas some people will come from a background that has no level of um like experience with those kind of conversations. So it's much harder for them to make the entry in. So having a, a step-by-step process and something they can go through and even do an MBA in is a, is, is a fantastic resource for them. But we teach them, Colin, uh, from scratch as if they don't know, have any connections. And we've got a young guy uh, who, uh, I'll, I'll mention his name because I love him, his name is Jordan Allen. And Jordan's from, he's only 24, he's from uh, Weymouth. And he came in and said, right, I'm going to be a football agent. I want to be a football agent. I want to do your course, done the course. Came on to our online mentoring. Took a full mentoring package with us and, and learned, learned that. And within his first month, done a deal abroad in Cyprus. Couldn't believe it. Right? And now Jordan's just at a level, he's been about 18 months now. He's about to leave his job 
and his job is just a customer, not just, he's a customer service manager. But he's not passionate about that in the way that he is about football no, agency. No, 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 exactly. No. He does his job and then, he, and then and, and fair play to him, he's 95 in his job. But as soon as he gets home, he's on the football agency and every Saturday he's at games, every Tuesday and Wednesday nights, nights he's at games. He's putting his heart and soul into it. But here's somebody who didn't have one connection in football, who's, who's now done a lot of deals. Now, albeit, like, not like, not a Cristiano Ronaldo deal, but he's done deals enough that he's very close to be able to leave that profession to come into this one. And that's the, that's the kind of stories where, you know, people don't understand. It is a very, very difficult job, but there's positive side to it as well. More will fail, and that's just life. But he's one of the success stories, and there's plenty of them. We've got people around the world who have come into our courses and who have, who have become successful and done big deals. Yeah, in terms of stuff going around the world as well, one of the questions I've, uh, I need to ask you is around like work permits and things like that as well. How has that changed with things like Brexit um, in, in recent years? Has that been made it more difficult for you to move really players? difficult. A couple of years ago or 18 months ago, I've never begged. It was if you were from France or Sweden or Holland or Germany, you just walk in, European Union, and you can get a job. These guys can't, can't come here anymore. There's a good side to that for the, the the young Scots because in England, if you were Manchester United, Man City or whatever, you just went round wherever you wanted in, in the world, in particular Europe, and you could pick up a young player. Can't do that anymore. They can't walk in. It's very, very difficult. So they're now looking at Ireland, Wales, Scotland. So it's good for us, that particular part. But it's really difficult because we all the connections we had in Europe where we were bringing players, your average players from Sweden, your average player from Denmark, your average player from Spain into the UK. Can't do it anymore. They just can't get in. Unless they're at a certain level. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. It was, it was burning in the back of my head because even like thinking like when I would have played football manager as a kid, the work permit was always the thing that you needed to get over the line towards the end, particularly players from um, from outside of Europe. But then European Union, of course, meant super easy movement of players. But that's interesting. It opens up more opportunities for your players internally to uh, But I tell you, but there has been a benefit. Uh, likes of uh, Brazilian players uh, and Argentinian players. Believe it or not, the average Argentinian and Brazilian player can come here now. Whereas before Brexit, it couldn't. It's to do with point a point system. So it's be more beneficial for Brazilians and Argentinians to come here they, who couldn't do it a couple of years ago. Because that works for them. Yeah. But your average European can't get in here. They've given with one hand but taken away with the other. No, it's a. It's, a, it's, it's a based on not. It's basically it's based on what country you play football. You play in France, Germany, Spain, Argentina, uh, Brazil, uh, and you, you get so many points for playing in that league. So, if you're just a player that's only played a few games in Argentina, then you get so many points that go towards your work permit. The chance to move. And you've got the chance to come in. Whereas, before Brexit, you had no chance. You had to be an international. One of the questions I always like to ask high performers within their space is, what's something that you feel that you've actually mastered now? From being an agent. Yeah. I keep saying it. The fact that rejection doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Yeah. You know? Resilience. Resilience as well, you know, because I see all these young agents out there and, you know, it, when they learn how to take rejection and be resilient, they'll be successful at a certain level. That's something I've mastered uh, that I didn't really have at, at the beginning. Yeah. I've mastered that and I've also mastered about. Not worrying about what people see or think about you because you get good and bad everywhere. You know? Well, I was going to say football agents—they're they're obviously much more popular than traffic wardens, but with some clubs, <laughs> they probably they probably have a bit of a a bee in their bonnet about them for particular things. Because we were saying there about um like your conversations with David Murray, you'd be really pleased you brought somebody, but you'll be saying don't you dare take him, for example. So I suppose that you've got to have a a thick skin in terms of what what people say about you. I, I remember very well. A long time ago, there was a big double page spread about uh, an owner of a club saying agents are this, they hate them, they're the scum of the earth, they're this. I could go ahead and use some expletives, right? And then I'm reading this story and I'm saying, oh, that's interesting, oh, that's interesting, blah, 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 blah. In fact, I was reading the story and my phone, my secretary says, so-and-so is on the phone. It was a guy who was reading the story about the owner. Oh, right, take a call. She says, can't help me now, we're looking for a centre forward, John. And I'm like, I'm just reading another thing me about. She's ah, that's for the papers. So, bottom line is, we do get a lot of a brunt of the uh, stick. Like any industry, there's good and bad. There's agents that are, are taking the piss out of people. There are agents that are uh, unscrupulous. There are 
agents, but there's some really great guys out there. Some people really doing a, a great job. It's just unfortunate that you guys only hear about the bad ones. Well, that makes headlines, doesn't of it? Of course, that makes headlines. Unless the chairman have a rant. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah, you know we're the we're the bad guys, but some great, some great, uh, some great agents out there doing great jobs for their players who are, who are looking after them, who are brutally honest, who are putting in time and effort that you would not believe. And I've seen them because I've been teaching them. You know, boys that are boys that are driving three hours to go and see their player playing, picking them up. You know, and spending time in when they're injured. The part that you don't see in a job. Yeah, that's a huge point, isn't it? Because Yes, you're you're involved in the the high flying transfer and the new contract negotiation, or getting them the move to the team that he's always wanted to play for. But also, there's the time when he's injured and he's maybe worried about, am I going to get a new deal or whatever else? And that's when you need to be a support network for them as well. Definitely, and that's the part you only the public only see the guy turning up doing the deal in Sky Sports, but they don't know that's maybe took years to get there. They don't know the pain and the heartache and the time that he spent with that player, but he's maybe not earned any money. Of course, yeah. And there's lots of young agents who spend time with players and they leave them and they don't earn any money. So there's a lot in the background that people don't see. The public only see the tip of the iceberg. It's the iceberg, yeah, I was going to say that's a great analogy for that. So um, if you've mastered things like resilience and the ability to be quite thick-skinned and not handle rejection, and sorry, and be able to handle rejection, what's something that you feel you're still working on even after 30 years in the industry? Nothing I'm brilliant. <laughs> the Glaswegian <laughs> uh, gala streaks shining through there. No, but still working on it. That's quite interesting. Uh, I tell you, one of the things I'm trying to work about is is uh, try to get my own time. I'm I'm trying to you know if somebody's trying to get a hold of me, I'm I'm taking time away for the family. You know, I'm trying to say right, okay, now's the time I should be spending with my family because I've spent so much time putting my whole life into this football industry. One of the things I'm trying to do is to say, right, okay, switch your phone off. I was going to say the boundaries with your phone, you said that stays on beside your bedside at night. Yeah, it does, actually, still does. But I've put it off for this chat. Anyway, you're lucky. That's it. <laughs> we've, got, we've, got, we've got an hour without any calls. You'll have some messages off this. For sure. Because we're sure. still in the transfer window at the time of speaking as well, aren't we? Straight, so yeah. It's we're probably straight. all go. It is all go. We need to be careful where we signpost people, John, because when I Google John Viola, do you know who else comes up? Tell me. The host of the Italian American podcast and a leading member of the Italian American community. He's the chairman of some society in the US. Right? He was like the third or fourth result. You're 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 higher up than him. Don't worry. But um, there's there's some other people that are called John Viola that have got a, a social media presence. Is that right? <laughs> so, another, Not a football agency though, another, which is good. I think I'm the only John Viola football agent. I think if there's another one out there, I'd like to meet him. Yeah, exactly that. But John, where would you like to send people towards to continue the conversation with you? Uh, if people try to learn about the, the football agents business, uh, we have a, a website called jivacademy.co.uk. That tells you everything about uh, what we've done and what we're doing for people to, to try to get them to a level to become a, a football agent. And one of the interesting things that people say, oh, so John, is that you teaching people as part of, your, part of your business? Of course, yes, we are. It's a small part of our business. But I'm at the sharp end. That, these guys are phoning me saying, oh, this guy said this. So stop. I just got that as well today. So... I'm at the sharp end and having to learn with a, a business changing uh, uh, dramatically as you go along. People think, oh, God, you're 38 years of the business, you know everything. For instance, there are young agents are learning something that I have to learn at the same time. So I'm at the sharp end still doing deals. So it's not like I've become a professor. I'm still there being able to teach them the day-to-day things that are happening, yeah, which, is, exactly that. which is completely unique. Yeah, exactly that, John. And that, that'll be linked in the show notes below. Thank you very much for joining me again, guys. And I'll be back to speech all again very, very soon.